We are Gateway Chapel, where we build your world by His Word. We stand for fun, friendship, fellowship, and family. You are listening to a Pastor Eddie message. I want us to open to Isaiah 65 from verse 24. Isaiah 65 verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I would hear. He says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I would hear. Now this um, scripture is one that I've heard time and time again, over and over again, many times. And uh, last year, October, I caught a revelation about this scripture. And this was off the back of a conversation I was having with PE. So last year, October, um, they made a trip to Lagos. I think it was around October last year. And uh, something happened that delayed their flight and that meant they were gonna get to um, Lagos really late and they would have had to make um, a journey through a treacherous bridge to get to where they were going to. And um, so um, he called me, he told me, oh, they were delayed. And I was like, oh, wow, you're going to have to make this journey at night. So we, we left here at that. And the next morning, he called me, and we were just catching up. And he was saying how the journey went. And he said, oh, that something interesting happened. They ran into a lady who had um, police escort come in to pick her. And the same escort went with them to their destination that night. And he said something after that conversation. He said, that's why the Bible says that there's some people that even before they pray, even before they ask God, that God will deploy a solution to them. So he, he hammered on about that and he was you know, talking about it and I was listening. Um, so when I got off the phone with him, I remember this scripture. And I started meditating and thinking about it and wondering, how can one um, live that sort of life where before you pray about something? So clearly they were worried. We were worried about their journey that night. But God made a provision even without them asking. So I started thinking, what does it take to live this type of life? What does, how, can, how can I live a life such that I don't have to pray about everything. God sees the worries of my heart. He sees my heart desires and he brings solution on time. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said that there is a lifestyle requirement to enjoy that type of life. There is a, there is a requirement. There is a way you need to live for you to enjoy what that scripture says, that there's some people that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. So tonight I want to, I want to, um, to share with us what it takes to live that sort of life. And tonight I'll be using a case study about a man who enjoyed this lifestyle that I'm sure most of us here would also desire. And so tonight, I want us to look at Hezekiah. 
the man called Hezekiah. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. So this is an account of um, Hezekiah and something that happened to him from verse 1. 2 Kings 20 verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Verse 4, And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So that scripture says that, God sent prophet Isaiah to deliver a message, not a very pleasant message, not a very pleasant message to Hezekiah. And we all know Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the um, well-known prophets. This was the prophet that brought, um, the, that brought the word of prophecy about Jesus Christ. This was Isaiah that prophesied about, about Jesus Christ and the, and the son of God that was coming. So clearly, we know that Isaiah was not just um, a run-of-the-mill prophet. Whatever he prophesied was accurate. So that means God must have sent him on this, on this message, on this errand to Hezekiah. But something happened there, as we read in the scriptures. Before Isaiah turned back to leave the courts, to leave the palace, because Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to God, about these not too good news he received. Before the prophet left, God changed the situation and changed the prophecy and said, go back and tell him that he will leave. And he will not only leave, I will add 15 years to his life. So what sort of prayer did Hezekiah pray that God would turn around the word of prophecy that he gave to his trusted prophet? What did Hezekiah do? What sort of man was Hezekiah? It makes me wonder how come God gave a prophetic word concerning this man and then because he cried out to God, God had a change of mind and said to, uh, to Isaiah, go back and tell him he would leave. Certainly, we can say that Hezekiah belonged to that group of people that we read about the people that before they cry out, God will answer. And whilst they are still speaking, God will make haste to hear them. So I'm sure before Hezekiah finished that, that prayer, God already radioed back and signaled back to his prophet and said, go back, go back, change of plan. He's not going to die. So this is a sort of life I believe anyone can enjoy. 
And I say that because confidently because there were two big um, breakthroughs that myself and my family enjoyed off the back of this prophetic um, insight I got in this word, off the back of my conversation with PA last year in October. Um, one of them was the admission of our daughter into school. So it was um, end of October, beginning of November, we put the application in for her to change school to the school that we really desired for her. And all we did was just put the application through and we just trusted God. And God did that which no man or no woman could do for us. And the second was um, in, my, in my workplace. So there's this new rule that's gone out that's affecting a lot of people who are self-employed. And it's, um, it's caused some sort of unsettlement. And those who are self-employed are having to take on permanent roles. And I, I really, really did not want to have to be one of those people that would go and pick up a permanent job just because a new legislation had gone out. So um, in January, um, it started to look like you know, things were not looking good. Everyone was saying, well, they're leaving or they're going to have to go permanent. And myself and my wife had this very, very strong desire um, for me to not have to move from being self-employed to taking up a permanent role. And like, genuinely say, we did not pray about it. We just had that desire and a strong desire that God would make a way. And lo and behold, something miraculous happened and someone spoke to someone and something happened and someone spoke to someone and alas, <laughs> I was offered another role that made sure I did not have to take on a permanent role. So something happened and something happened. The bottom line is God came through and met our heart desires. So there's, anyone can, anyone can live that lifestyle. Anyone can live the lifestyle of those who do not have to knock their heads on the wall and pray and constantly um, bang their heads um, on and on about something that's not working. God already sees what you need. God already sees your desires. He sees your heart cry. The Bible said that God said, I've seen your tears, Hezekiah. So God sees. God is, a, God is not a God that would want us to, to, um, to suffer and be in lack or be in sadness or not live a fulfilled life. God sees. God sees your heart cry. He sees your heart desire. And there's something else that happened with Hezekiah. And that's in 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19 from verse 10. This was another scenario where God came through for Hezekiah when all odds were against him. 2 Kings 19.10. Thus you, you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, 
you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my father has, my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezef and the people of Eden who were in, in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Apad, and the king of the city of Sepharvim, Hena, and Ivor? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. If we fast track to verse 35, it says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were, there were the corpses, all dead. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the, the same guy who had gone to threaten Hezekiah, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the temple of Nisroch his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Shareza, struck him down with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. So this was clear case of victory without lifting a hand. What manner of man was Hezekiah? That the king of Assyria, now in those days Assyria was a terrific nation. No one messed with them. If Assyria said you were going, you're gone. They were a bit like, I don't want to name the name of the country, but you know that country that feels like they rule the world? A bit like them. So Hezekiah was there being threatened by this guy, and then overnight, God sends his angels to, to, to do the job. Hezekiah did not have the manpower, he did not have the military power, he, had, he did not have the skills to take on the Assyrians. But God himself, because Hezekiah went to the temple and just presented his case before God, God himself fought for him. And God did not only destroy the Assyrians, God then used the son of this king to wipe him out. So what manner of man was this guy, Hezekiah, and why were these things happening for him just like that? Let's go back and look at his um, history. Let's look at the history of Hezekiah. Okay. So 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. You see, um, in those days, um, so after the death of Solomon, um, Israel was divided into two. So the northern part retained the name Israel, and then the southern part was named Judah. Now, Hezekiah um, was one of the kings of Judah, but before he became king, um, he had his ancestors, obviously, ahead of him and before him. So let's look at the history of, of Hezekiah and what exactly and where exactly this man, Hezekiah, uh, came from. 
So, 2 Kings 17. This was talking about uh, the people of Judah as at the time before Ezekiah became king. From verse 33, he says, They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. Now, this was the lifestyle in Judah before Hezekiah became king. His grandfather, his, his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, his ancestors, they were known to fear God, right? They feared God, but they served their own gods. So there were people that we can say they were Christians, like we say today, but they served their own God. If we also look at verse 41 of the same chapter, it says, so these nations feared the Lord, this is talking about Judah, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. So these were people that violated the very first commandment, which says, thou shalt have no other God but me. So they knew God, they feared God, but they had their idols, they had their own, um, they had their own weakness. They feared the Lord, yet served other idols. And if we go to verse, uh, chapter, chapter 14, chapter 14, let's look at um, from verse 1. So 2 Kings 14, verse 1. So it says, In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. So Amaziah was in the lineage of Hezekiah. It says he became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. If we go to the next chapter, chapter 15, so this is talking about his grandfathers and his great-grandfathers that were before him. From verse 1, he says, In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, so Amaziah is the guy we read about in 14, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. I like the way they always sneak in his mother's name. <laughs> it wasn't just the son of a bad guy, but this was his mother, just in case. <laughs> he says, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father Amaziah had done. Verse 4 again says, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So that was Azariah, the son of Amaziah, okay? If we move on to verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Again, his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. 
He did according to all his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So you can see that from king to king, they did what was right in the sight of God. They feared God, but they still retained the high places. The high places were the places where they worshipped these idols. And then there, king, there came Ahaz in chapter 16. So Ahaz was um, Hezekiah's dad. He says in, from verse 1, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of, of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. So this one was total outright rebel. In fact, I'm not even going to bother myself doing what was right. I'm going to go all out and just live life and enjoy myself. So this guy went wild. He says he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And verse 4 says, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So this guy was not even doing his own, just on the high places. Any tree that was green and flourishing, slot one idol in there and worship. So this guy went all out. And this was Hezekiah's dad. So we would have thought Hezekiah stood no chance. If his grandfather, his great-grandfather were idol worshippers and then his own father was just outright terrorist, idol worshipper, everything, name it. We would have thought, okay, come Second Kings 17 or 18, we'll read about Hezekiah, the next in line, and this guy would have probably done worse than his father. But let's see what happened. Chapter 18, Second Kings 18, from verse 1. Now it came to pass in the, in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elas, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So you can see how they removed Ahaz from there, and they said his father David. <laughs> he says, verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense on it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Six says, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So little wonder why Hezekiah was prosperous in all that he did. Little wonder why Hezekiah, before he prayed, God answered Little wonder why God answered every cry of his. 
because he did something that no other king was willing to do. He pulled down the high places of idols from the land. So Hezekiah took a stand. He decided to choose the unpopular path. He decided to do something different. He decided he was not going to follow in the ways of his grandfathers and his father and his great-grandfathers. He decided to be different. He decided he was going to take a stand and take a stand for God. The Bible says that uh, he destroyed all the idols and restored full and 100% loyalty to God. He decided to take a stand. Are you willing to take a stand? Are you willing to follow the unpopular path? Are you willing to go off path away from your friends and your family and take a stand for God? So there are a group of boys that, um, that I mentor and every now and then we all get together for breakfast and we talk and we just have fun. So one of them asked me a question one day. He said, oh, that why or how did I, how did I end up <laughs> the way I am? Hopefully, good way. How did I um, not get carried away with friends and life when I was growing up? And I said to him that I decided to take a stand. I decided to be different. So I didn't have many friends back then when I was, well, I'm still a young man. I'm still growing. But when I was in school, I didn't have many friends. But the few I had, I made sure I took a stand and I made it very clear to them where I stood concerning everything and anything. So there, sometimes they would um, try and lure me and say, oh, let's go to this place or um, it's Friday night, let's go out, let's go have fun. And I'll say to them, no, sorry guys, I have to be in church. I go to church on Fridays and I go to church on Sundays. Any activities that would pull me out of my worship or my service to God, I cannot follow you guys. So over time, they would try and try and try and lure me and invite me out. And I think they were doing it for selfish reasons, actually. I don't think they really wanted my company. They were doing it because I had a car and I could drive. So they didn't want to take the bus or the train. So they really, really wanted the guy who had the car and could get, back, get them back home when it's late at night and when they are, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so these guys would always try and they would push and they would, but I took a stand. Not once did they succeed, I kid you not. Not once did they succeed. So I was saying to these um, boys that it was all about taking a stand. And after a while, these friends of mine, they knew that, okay, you know what? There's nothing we can do to um, persuade or convince this guy. We're just going to live with it and just accept it. And then after a few years, I noticed that they, even, they just totally stopped inviting me. So anything that was happening on Friday, on Sunday, I got to find out on Facebook and see their pictures and photos. I think there was no Instagram then. Get on Facebook and see their feet. I'm like, oh, wow, you guys sure had fun last night. Like, yeah, yeah, we went out, but obviously you are not going to come with us. I took a stand 
and I decided, you guys are not going to um, sway me from my worship. You guys are not going to make me do things that would compromise my worship or my service to God. And this is exactly what we can learn from Hezekiah here. It must have been a daunting one for him, I'm sure. It must have been very daunting for him to um, go and destroy the things that his forefathers had preserved. I can imagine some uncles coming to him and saying, Hezekiah, are you out of your mind? You mean you're going to destroy these idols that your father worshipped, your grandfather worshipped, your great-grandfather worshipped? And I'm sure some of us still, um, unfortunately, get that form of pressure from family when it comes to say, uh, making certain decisions. The family pressure, pressure from mom, pressure from dad, pressure from uncles. And they want you to do things that you clearly know this thing is against my faith. This thing is against what I believe. I know better than this now. But are you going to take a stand? Are you going to take a stand for Christ? Are you going to take a stand for the kingdom just like Hezekiah did? And what I find also shocking is that the idols they were worshipping, or one of the idols was the same, um, was the image of the serpent that God commanded Moses to use as a tool of breakthrough and deliverance for them when they were in the wilderness. So in, um, in the, I think it was in Numbers, Numbers 21, you can read it later, where um, there, was, um, there was a lost snake in the land and it was um, biting and killing people. And God said to Moses, put a serpent on a rod and lift it up. And everyone that looks at this serpent will be saved and will not die. So how come they turned um, this same object into an idol? So this same uh, serpent that was meant to serve a purpose, all of a sudden now is being served by the children of God. Unfortunately, what was meant to be a blessing from God turned into a curse. And that's something that we also need to um, be careful about. Be careful about, be careful and not let the blessings of God in your lives turn into idols. So the things that God has blessed you with can easily become idols. So you can be a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, but you have turned the blessings of God in your life into idols. It's possible to turn your job or your business into an idol. It's possible to turn your spouse into an idol. It's possible to turn your children into idols. And how, how do you know you've turned your children into idols when everything is all about that child? It's almost as if you're worshiping that child in the house. If the child sneezes, oh, we're not going to church. We are not going to church. Joe is sneezing. He's not feeling well. Oh, he's running temperature. Touch it. Can't you feel it? He's running. Oh, we can't go to church today. Before God gave you that job, you were in Connect Group. You were in church on Fridays. You were in church on Sunday. You were serving faithfully. And all of a sudden, the job you've prayed for and fasted for has come. And even though you close at five, you're too tired to be in service on Friday. The same job that's meant to be a blessing can turn to an idol. It doesn't mean you're not God-fearing. It doesn't mean you don't know God. But that blessing has turned into an idol. 
Before you got married, you were fervent, you were serving your God, you were faithful in everything God committed to your hands. And the moment you got married, all of a sudden, well, we're having um, family time, we're having couples time, we need to spend time together. We've been working all week, you know, let's go out on Friday, let's have fun. Oh, we were out late on Saturday, sorry, we couldn't make it to church. All of a sudden, your spouse has become an idol. Anything that begins to compete for God's attention in your life has become an idol. Even if it's a blessing, the moment it starts to compete for God's attention in your life, the moment you find that you've reduced the amount of service compared to what you used to give to God in the past, that thing has become an idol. The moment you... And that's how you gauge it. That's the litmus test for it. If anything comes into your life, and all of a sudden, because of that thing, you've reduced the amount of time you give to God, you've reduced the amount of time you spend praying, you have turned that thing into an idol. And it's interesting that we, keep, we constantly hear that, oh, God will not, never give you a challenge too big for you to handle. Likewise, God will never give you a blessing too big for you to handle. If God has given you that blessing, it's because he knows that, that blessing is meant to add to you and not to take from you. That blessing is meant to be used to serve, not you serving that blessing. So those are the things that can become idols in our lives. And if you've got idols in your life, there is no way you can live the life of those whom before they speak, God answers. If Hezekiah had kept the idols of his ancestors, there is no way he would have enjoyed that lifestyle. So you need to get rid of idols. And also, Hezekiah was loyal to God. He was loyal to God. The, the king of Assyria tried to lure Hezekiah um, to join his own league. But Hezekiah trusted in his God. He said, nope. I'm not going to join your league. I'm going to trust my God and he's going to defend and fight for me. And we can see in the scripture we read that God himself sent his angels to deal with the people of Assyria and brought victory to the, to the entire nation of Judah through Hezekiah. So Hezekiah remained loyal. You find these days that friends can easily sway your loyalty to God. Friends can sway your loyalty to God. Friends will constantly try and lure you into their own league. So it's always a competition between leagues, as we know. Your friend who is in um, championship will try and downgrade you from your Premier League. They will try and sway your loyalty. They will try and pull you in. Oh, my team is better than you. Oh, my team is... Ah, rah, rah. But their team is <laughs> it's not even playing as well as your team. But they're constantly selling their team to you. Why? So friends can sway your loyalty to God. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. And that's why the Bible says to us that we should not be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. 2 Corinthians... 
I read it from the screen. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? He says, do not be unequally yoked. <laughs> when, when I was younger, when I used to read that scripture, I was so confused. I'm like, what does yoke mean? He says the anointing breaks the yoke. What is yoke? The only thing I knew as yoke as a kid was my breakfast. <laughs> what is this yoke? Do not be unequally yoked. The anointing breaks the yoke. What is yoke? So if you're here and you're, you're, you're in the same confused state I was many years ago, yoke is not your breakfast, okay? Now, yoke is, um, is something that they put between two animals. You put it around the neck of one animal and join it to another animal so that they can pull the cart or whatever it is that they're pulling. So that's what a yoke is. So when the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Now, picture this. Imagine... Um, two animals. One is a camel and the other one is a horse, right? The horse is known to, when you, when you think of horse, you think of speed. When you think of camel, you think of that lazy, tall for nothing animal that spends half of the day sitting down and when it gets up, it's so slow and sluggish. Now imagine yoking a camel to a horse, the horse is going to be frustrated. The horse wants to gallop, but this camel ain't letting the horse gallop nowhere. You're yoked. That's what the Bible means when it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not yoke yourself with people that are not in the same league as you. It's a matter of time they will slow you down. It's a matter of time they will pull you off course. Do not be unequally yoked. So Hezekiah remained loyal and he refused to yoke himself with the king of Assyria. And then lastly, Hezekiah did not make excuses. Hezekiah did not make excuses. Going back to the, the story of his father Ahaz, Hezekiah could have given all the excuses in the world as to why he would have preserved or have to, he would have had to preserve those idols. He could have given an excuse. He could have said, oh, well, this is now a family tradition. These idols have lived from generation to generation. So I should really not tamper with them. I should really just let them be. But Hezekiah did not give that excuse. He stepped out and the Bible says, there in verse 2 or 3, the first thing he did when he got on the throne was to pull down the idols, pull down the high places of idol worshipping. That was the first thing that he did. So that means that must, have, that must have been first and foremost on his mind. That must have been number one priority for him, pulling down these idols that have lived from generation to generation. Hezekiah did not make any excuse. He did not make any excuse. His parents and his grandparents were God-fearing, but they kept and retained idols against the will of God. So are you making excuses? Are you making excuses about um, what your parents did and what your grandparents did that is hindering you from serving God wholeheartedly? Are you making excuses? Are you constantly referring back to your background and using that as a reason why you're not serving God wholeheartedly. 
you need to stop giving excuses. Hezekiah refused to give excuses. And we can see how God came through for him. And the Bible says to us that he also did not, he went against the wish of the king of Assyria. That means he was not a people pleaser. Hezekiah was not in the business of pleasing anyone. That's why he decided to turn against the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria went before him and said, what do you believe in? What do you trust in? What is your, what is your faith in that you really, really think that this God can come and save you? And so he invited them into his own camp, into his own league, but he decided he was not going to please that guy. So you need to search within your life. Are you pleasing? Are you constantly pleasing people? Are you constantly living to please others? If you find yourself constantly pleasing people and pleasing others and pleasing friends, then there's no way you can fully and truly serve God. If you find yourself constantly assessing the instructions God has given to you or sounding it out with your friends, then that means you are not following God truly. That means you're seeking to please them. If God has given you an assignment, if God has called you to, 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 to do something, then you don't have to sound it off your friends. Just run the race that God has given to you. Stay loyal to your God. Stay loyal to your assignment. So Hezekiah refused to please the king of Assyria. So tonight we can see from the life that Hezekiah lived, why we read about the account of him praying and God turning around a prophetic word in his favor. And we can see why without him lifting a finger, God sends his angels to fight and to defend him. So tonight, we can see that it's possible for you to join that league of people that whilst they are yet speaking, God makes haste to answer them. Before they cry out, God hears them. Before they pray, God sends a solution. You can live the same life. You can join that league of people, but it takes a lifestyle requirement, as we can see from the life of Hezekiah. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us at www.gatewaychapel.org.uk Remember to subscribe so you'll never miss another message like this one. Be blessed.